Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Does the God of the Bible endorse, support, promote, and expect slavery? And here's another question that's related. Was American slavery supported by Scripture as some Christian leaders taught then and still insist on today? So these are the things that we're going to be looking at. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, in a message titled, The Bible, Christianity, and Slavery. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So we're going to be looking once again back at Colossians in the third chapter and just one verse in the fourth chapter. In the third chapter, Paul is speaking to bond servants. He says, bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And then in chapter four, verse one, he says, masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, in our previous message, we looked at these passages, but I put them more in a modern context of addressing the employee-employer relationship. But I said that I wanted to go back and address the issue of slavery. And I want to do that because, as I also mentioned, the question that is being floated about in the culture today is not only is Christianity true, but the question is now becoming, is Christianity good? Is God good? Is the Bible's teaching good? Is the gospel good? Is the Christian faith good for people? Is it good for the world? Now, as I pointed out, many are answering those questions with a resounding no, saying that the teachings of the Bible are bigoted, oppressive, hateful, racist, and generally detrimental to society. And so one of the things that is often pointed out by these critics of the Bible is the Bible's teaching on slavery. And so they point to the Bible's teaching on slavery saying, look, here's living proof that the Bible is unhelpful to say the least, detrimental really, because they say the Bible supports slavery. Atheist writer Sam Harris has voiced that in these words. He said, in assessing the moral wisdom of the Bible, it is useful to consider the moral questions that have been solved to everyone's satisfaction. Consider the question of slavery. The entire civilized world now agrees that slavery is an abomination, says Harris. What more instruction do we get from the God of Abraham on the subject? Consult the Bible and you will discover that the creator of the universe clearly expects us to keep slaves. So that's Sam Harris's conclusion. And he is just one of many voices that are making such claims. And so this is the question. 
Is that true? Does the God of the Bible endorse, support, promote, and expect slavery? And here's another question that's related. Was American slavery supported by scripture as some Christian leaders taught then and still insist on today? So these are the things that we're going to be looking at. Now, let me just say this. The first mistake that people like Harris make in interpreting slavery in the Bible is that they're doing it through the lens of slavery in the European American experience. They're looking back on the scripture, but they're looking through that lens and they're thinking that what happened in the American and European experience is identical to what was happening in the Bible. And it simply is not the same. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at slavery in the Old Testament. We're gonna look at slavery in the New Testament. We're going to look at slavery in the American experience. And finally, we're going to look at what Jesus and the apostles did to set in motion changes that would ultimately abolish slavery. So let's start with the Old Testament. Now, most people, when they begin with the Old Testament, they look at the laws of Moses. And we will come to the laws of Moses in just a moment. But I want to go further back. I want to go back to Abraham. But even before we do that, let me just say this. The Hebrew word that is translated in more recent versions as slave is also translated as servant. And so the context depends on whether we are talking about uh, a servant or a slave. Now, before 1900, this word was always translated as servant. And then again, the context would sometimes indicate like the Egyptians in, or the Israelites in Egypt, the connotation would be more of slavery. But the word simply means this. The word simply means to work for. That's the meaning of the Hebrew word. And then again, the context sort of gives you an idea of of what that might have looked like. Now, let's talk about Abraham for a moment. So Abraham had servants. He had household servants. And one of his servants is named. His name is Eliezer. And here's an interesting thing about Abraham and Eleazar, Abraham said of Eleazar, he was Eleazar of Damascus, he said that he is my heir. He is my heir. In other words, upon Abraham's death, all of his belongings will pass to Eleazar. We wouldn't commonly think of anything like this in the slave-master relationship, right? That the, the slave is actually the heir. Well, again, here Eleazar is better understood as a, as a servant. But like I said, the word is the same. But nevertheless, we see that Eliezer wasn't a person who lived under some heavy oppressive kind of a thing from Abraham. He was like a son to Abraham. And so we need to understand again that when the Bible is speaking of servanthood or when it's speaking at times of slavery, it's not speaking about the same thing that we would necessarily think of when we hear the term. Now, slavery in the time of Moses. So the law of Moses, of course, is not Moses's law. It's God's law. And in God's law, he gave specific instruction regarding slaves, regarding servants. Now, many people who were 
slaves at the time were what you call, they were indentured or, and this would be indentured servant is a better way to understand it. And an indentured servant was a person who was bound by contract to serve another person. They were bound by contract to serve another person. In ancient Israel, people would sell themselves or other family members in order to pay off a debt or in order to have their cost of living covered during times of financial hardship. So this was part of the culture. This is part of the way that it worked. This was a temporary arrangement and it was something where there was an agreement. Now there was a lifelong servitude that one could enter into, but one had to agree to enter into lifelong servitude. It wasn't simply imposed upon you. So indentured servants, many of the slaves were indentured. Sometimes slaves came into being as a result of warfare. They were acquired through the battles that took place and the victories that were won and the spoil that was taken. And so they would be brought in as workers for the Israelites. Now, remember that even under this kind of a situation, there were very strict rules that the masters had to abide by. You see, slaves in Israel, unlike anywhere else at the time, had rights. They had specific rights that are spelled out in the law of Moses. They had rights and they were not to be abused. For example, we are told in the scripture that if a man knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let them go free for the sake of the tooth. So you become violent, you become abusive, you knock out the tooth of your servant and you're then obligated to let them go free. So you can see that in the system, there was protection for the slaves. They had rights. Rebecca McLaughlin in her great book, Confronting Christianity, she has a chapter on this question of slavery. And she says this regarding the Old Testament. She says, when God gave his people the law, it included repeated reminders that they were once slaves. And this was to inform them how they would treat slaves. Not only slaves, but immigrants, widows, and orphans. The Old Testament bans slave catching which we'll talk about in a moment, which is essentially kidnapping, provides protection for slaves and invites us to see the world through the enslaved eyes of a woman named Hagar and also of a man named Joseph, who was a slave in Egypt, but also through the eyes of the whole people of Israel during their time in Egypt. So that's kind of a generalization of the Old Testament teaching on slavery, but the Old Testament did not ban slavery. So here's the question, why not? Why didn't the Old Testament ban slavery? Well, we have to understand what the, and I say the Old Testament, I'm speaking specifically of the law. What was the law's purpose? What was its objective? The law was a temporary measure. It was never intended to bring about the perfect world. It was a temporary measure. It was used to 
regulate life rather than to bring about the perfect situation. Jesus made it clear that God permitted certain things under the law, like divorce, for example, which were less than his ideal, but Jesus told us that he did it because of the hardness of their hearts. You see, only when the heart changes can the ideal be realized. So it was never God's intention to create a perfect society during that period of the law. And again, we might think, well, why not? But that's something that we have to leave up to God. He knows what he's doing. We believe that. But let's move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So here's what many would say today, many who would echo the things that we read by Sam Harris. They would say, well, if the gospel is good, like you say, then the apostles and the early Christians, they would have abolished slavery. And since they didn't, it means that Christianity is not good. But you see, this is what you, you would refer to people like this as armchair sociologists, philosophers, or theologians. An armchair, this is a word that came from the world of anthropology. The first anthropologists were called armchair anthropologists because they understood a society, they judged a society from a distance. They judged it through what they could read. They judged it through you know, maybe conversations and things, but they didn't have firsthand experience. And the one who sees and judges things from a distance, but has no reality of what's going on on the ground, that's the kind of person who says, well, why didn't they just do this? The fact of the matter is, they couldn't just do that. So why didn't Paul just tell masters to set servants free? This is a completely naive question based on the assumption that things then were like or similar to what they are like today. You see, the reason why Paul didn't do that is because it wasn't possible. So here's what we have to understand about the first century, about the Greco-Roman world. We have to understand this, and we have to understand this about the Christians. Christians who were mostly part of the slave population. It's a fact that many, many, many of the earliest Christians were slaves. And what we need to understand is that they could not change the legal system at all because they had no vote. They had no power. There was nothing that they could do. Now, they could have resisted. They could have tried to bring about some sort of a rebellion. But for a slave to rebel against their master would lead to immediate execution. So they would never have gained any ground whatsoever. But not only that, it was actually the case that there were limits upon emancipation. If you had three slaves, and only under certain circumstances, if you were to free them, you could only free two. You couldn't free all of them. If you had 10 slaves, you could only free five of them. If you had 30 slaves, you could only free 10 of them. So this was law. This was part of Roman law. Now, slaves under 30 could not be freed without a legal procedure and 
if a slave was freed before the age of 30, then they forfeited any possibility of citizenship. So again, to say, well, why didn't the early Christians, why didn't the apostles call for the emancipation, for the abolishment of slavery? Those who are saying that are thinking of it from a different context, a current context, and looking back into a situation where that wasn't a possibility. And again, it's important for us to understand what slavery was like in the Greco-Roman world as well. So slaves in the Greco-Roman world were employed in agriculture and manufacturing enterprises, construction, mining, governmental positions, education of children, cultural and entertainment activities, as well as many routine household duties. In the Roman Empire, slavery was unrelated to race. It had absolutely nothing to do with race. And that was true during the Old Testament period as well. Hagar was the slave of Sarah. Hagar was an Egyptian in the house of Sarah who became the mother of the Hebrews. But we see later Joseph was a Hebrew or an Israelite and he was enslaved in Egypt. It it wasn't at all about race in either the Old Testament period or the New Testament period. It probably began as generals, victorious generals, chose to enslave conquered enemies rather than liquidate them. It was also a form of punishment for crimes or a means of dealing with debtors unable to repay their loans. So that's slavery in the Greco-Roman world. And again, from the Christian standpoint, there's no legal process or means that they can employ to end slavery. And of course, remember that the Christian population, as I already said, was made up of majority slaves. And it's not like there was some powerful organization called the church that could negotiate with the powers that be and all of that. Uh, Of course, that came way, way later on in history. And just to note that in the fourth century and in the seventh century, when Christianity had developed and when the church did have more cultural and political clout, there were strong abolitionist movements in those centuries in particular. So that's the ancient world, the Old Testament world, and also the New Testament world. But let's look now at American slavery. And here's the question. And and again, this is the reason why I'm looking at the topic today is because it's American slavery that is most frequently pointed to as a testimony against the goodness of Christianity. So here's the question. Was American slavery comparable to what we find in scripture and was it biblically justifiable? And the answer on both counts is no. It was not comparable to what we find in scripture as we'll see in just a second. And it was not biblically justifiable even though people sought to use the Bible to justify it. And we'll address that in a moment. But let's look at certain aspects of the American slave trade. The transatlantic slave trade was based on man stealing or kidnapping is the way we would refer 
today to man-stealing, which according to the Mosaic law was a crime punishable by death. In Exodus 21, 16, it says this, he who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Paul lists kidnapping as a crime the law was given to punish in his first letter to Timothy in the 10th verse of the first chapter. So the transatlantic slave trade was based on something God considered criminal, which was kidnapping. Secondly, slavery in America was based on race and not only on race, but on a denial that certain people were created in the image of God. Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy, he stated this. He said, the great American evil of slavery wasn't the involuntary servitude. It was the fiction that black people aren't as good as white people and aren't the equals of white people and are less evolved, less human, less capable, less worthy, less deserving than white people. And that absolutely was the case with American slavery. It was that there was a sense that there was an inferiority, that the Africans were in some way inferior to white people and were to some degree subhuman. This is a fact. And so nothing in the scripture, as I said, ever points to the slavery issue as having anything to do with race or anything like that. And then thirdly, American slavery is often referred to as chattel slavery. And chattel slavery, although there was an aspect of chattel slavery in the Greco-Roman system, the American version of chattel slavery took it to a new level. Chattel means property. And in the American system, the slave had no rights whatsoever. Zero rights for the slave. They were 100% at the disposal of their masters. So as we've already seen, this was a contradiction of the law of Moses. Slaves, according to the law of Moses, did have rights. They weren't at the absolute disposal of their masters. Their masters had uh, certain things that they had to abide by. So it's a contradiction of the Mosaic law, but even more, it really is a contradiction of the spirit of the gospel. Yet, some ministers of the gospel then and even now insist that antebellum slavery was consistent with scripture. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Today there are so many things swirling around in the culture regarding sexuality, regarding the body, regarding ideas like, well, my body says I'm one thing, but my mind tells me I'm something else. 
how do we make sense of this stuff? Are there biblical answers? And yes, there are. My good friend Sam Albury has written a book called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And in it, he's going to address the issues of same-sex relations. He's going to address transgenderism and several other things that pertain to our bodies. And he's going to address these current issues. He's going to do it in a very biblically sound way and a very loving and gracious way at the same time. So I want to highly recommend What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury. Check it out. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury. You can order the book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies by Sam Albury. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Colossians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.